Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Micah Locker. Micah is the president and founder of Anchor Investments and Mission Hotels. Anchor Investments is in the real, the commercial real estate space, buying and repurposing shopping centers. Since its founding in 2009, Anchor has been the principal on over $300 million of real estate projects. Separately, Mission Hotels is the only hotel brand in America that gives away the majority of its profits to underserved communities. And its unique approach to turning churches into hotels is something truly special. In combination with the charitable hotel brand, Anchor's mission is to become the most generous commercial real estate company in America. But most importantly, Micah is a proud husband to Brit and has three amazing young children, Lizzie, who's five, Rosie, who's three, and Ellie, who is one. With all that said, Micah, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. We're excited. Also, uh, one of the first things we had said to you when we, we first spoke was uh, oh you 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 walk on a treadmill when you when you talk on the phone which makes tons of sense and some you know if you, somebody sees the video here they're gonna be able to see that which I love hey get your steps in that makes sense be healthy take care of yourself business will will be better if you take care of yourself so kudos to you that's what I'd say to that well thank you hopefully it's not distracting I laughed before uh, the zoom error I've been doing this for like six or seven years I've had a treadmill and I laughed Nobody ever knew it until we got Zoom. And then people are like, are you walking? I'm like, I've walked on every conference call we've ever had. I said, you know, you can just <laughs> see me. So, uh, we love it. We think it's awesome. And uh, yeah, keep keep at it. Go, just, go for just, it. So, just, for, just for curiosity's sake, just for the listeners, how many steps on average do you get in a day? You can get about 15 to 20,000, depending on, you know, how many meetings I have. Like on a typical day, if I'm in my office half the day of meetings, there are probably 15,000. Wow. Okay. Good stuff. So, so uh, way past the 6,000 that uh, everyone's kind of going, yay, I got fast 6,000. You're <laughs> like, if it's not 15,000, it's not enough. Okay. Got it. I'll send, I'll send y'all the link. You can put it in the show notes. I've helped this company. It's called Lifespan. I swear I need to get like a promo code because I've helped them sell so many treadmills. Well, all right. Well, we got to get that to happen before we, we put the show together and throw the show. <laughs> we want to get we want to get you paid, man. That's for sure. All right. No, so, I don't uh, have a I, promo code. I'm, I'm working commission <laughs> free for these guys. I'm just a fan. <laughs> awesome. All right. So uh, I gave a little bit of spiel. But what is your origin story, Michael? What tell us about you and then tell us a little bit about Anchor Investments and uh, Mission Hotels. Yeah, so I'm 42 years old. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, part of my story is the first uh, half of my life, I lived in a, just a really tough part of Memphis, and um, which I'll, I'll get into later when we talk. But so I grew up there and uh, I went to University of Tennessee um, for college. We beat the Gators this weekend. So it's good to first uh, second time in 21 years. So I'm glad to be a Vol fan again. And uh, and after college, I, uh, I moved straight to Nashville to get in the first real estate business. So I'm coming up on my 20th year here, so I'm uh, glad to be here and have loved Nashville. And sometimes you just pick the right city to move to. It's uh, Nashville's grown 
exponentially since I've been here. Good place to be in uh, construction space, a growing city. That's generally a good idea. Totally. All right. Well, what about uh, the company? So tell us about Anchor and, and uh, Mission Hotels. Yeah. So we started Anchor. I started my career as a real estate broker uh, my first couple of years. So I did leasing and selling office buildings predominantly. I did a little bit of work in the retail space. And after a couple of years of doing that, one of my clients actually recruited me to open a national office for him. And so we were developing um, suburban shopping centers, usually anchored by Walmart. So Walmart would buy their parcel and then we'd kind of do everything around them. And then when the Great Recession hit, uh, we ran out of money. So uh, we I always joke we, uh, you know, it was me and a friend of mine who ran that local office together. We always laugh like, Nobody needed two broke young guys. So he went one direction and I went the other. And uh, and I started Anchor in 2009. Uh, but it had started working on the business plan in 2008 as the economy was just, you know, in the shambles. And But yeah, so the business is 13 years old. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so, um, and when did uh, Mission Hotels come around? When when was We started that, that business, six, we started that six years ago. Okay. So um, it we bought a building downtown Nashville. I had owned uh, Airbnbs for, well, I'd owned a ton of rental houses probably starting 15 or 16 years ago. And when Airbnb got announced, I thought it was a super cool idea. And a friend of mine who owned those with me, we were like, yeah, let's just try it. You know, it's $10,000 worth of furniture. And what do we have to lose? If it doesn't work out, we'll just rent it as a furnished rental. And it just kind of blew up. I mean, I laugh when I think when we put our first houses on Airbnb, Nashville had like, 300 Airbnbs. Now today, I bet the numbers to 8,000. I mean, it's it's a big business in Nashville because of all the tourism. And but um, I had the idea to kind of put a lot more units in one building. So because you know, just managing 50 of these things across the city was real management intensive. So I was like, man, if we could ever find a building, it'd be cool to just put a lot of units in one building and operate them with a the technology mindset. And um, you know, we we're like, we can just scale it. And it'll be a lot easier to manage. So we bought a building downtown for one of our retail clients and super cool 125-year-old building and built a bunch of units in there. And that kind of started that whole business. And then since we bought old churches uh, that have kind of quote unquote gone out of business and they're just beautiful architectural buildings. We, you know, we basically have to gut the inside, but we leave the shells and they're super cool architecturally and people have loved them. Yeah, I looked at some of them uh, on your website. Some of the one to next time I go to Nashville, I, I plan on hopping, hopping in, you know, going towards the cause essentially. Just l- l- let it lean into to the people that we meet here on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, super excited. And they're gorgeous. Like they're they're really well done. So kudos to you. Thank you. So uh, I wanted to ask something because you know no one starts from nothing. It's really important. We talked a little bit about this before, but sometimes having someone to go to, someone to look up to helps in your overall purpose, goals in life and stuff like that. Do you have any mentors uh, and or resources that you were able to use that really helped you succeed and build scale and kind of have that mindset? 100%, yeah. I, uh, I've always sought out, I mean, I always laugh like in high school, my friends would come downstairs and they'd be like, Hey, when did you get here? And I'd be like sitting on the couch talking to their dad. Like I didn't have like the best relationship with my dad growing up. And so I've always sought out like older, wiser men to invest in my life. And I mean, most of the success I've had, I would credit to mentors and 
I mean, one specifically, John Arndt, who you guys have interviewed on the show before. That's how I got connected to you guys. John's been a great blessing to me. He's, you know, 20 years older than I am. He's had a lot of life experience. He's a great husband and dad and great business owner. And, you know, I meet with guys like that a couple times a year um, and just, you know, pick their brain about my personal life, my business. And, you know, they've helped me avoid a lot of pitfalls. But there's a long list of guys I can give a lot of credit to. Uh, what about uh, other resources or organizations um, uh, do you attribute to? You said you reach out to a lot. So are there any others outside of John Art, who, by the way, is an awesome person. If you haven't listened to that uh, episode, go listen to it because he is amazing. He is. I totally agree. Yeah. So I've been really involved with the entrepreneurs organization here in Nashville. EO is what people call it. I probably joined eight years ago and that really helped me a lot. Like, I've been traditionally a real estate deal guy. Like I love the deal. I love putting them together. I like, you know, building the team around it, but the day-to-day operations of running a business, I didn't, you know, kind of sign up for that initially. I just thought, Oh, I'll just outsource everything. And then over time, you know, you grow and you're doing more deals and you have to start building the team. So I, uh, EO really helped me because, you know, you had people who owned all different types of businesses some were newer, some were long-time businesses. And, um, you know, those people like would just, you have an HR issue. They're like, oh, I dealt with that five years ago. Here's here's how it played out for me. Here's who you need to talk to. And I mean, it's helped me a ton. And then there's another organization called Halftime, uh, which is a leadership development program based in Dallas. Uh, we actually have a national office now, but uh, that helped me a lot as well. Just kind of try to figure out the purpose of my business. And I've met a lot of great business owners through that. And I have a coach through halftime who I meet with on a monthly basis who's helped me a ton. What has EO uh, Entrepreneurs Organization done for you? I mean, it's great. Like, I mean, you see, so you're in a forum setting with seven or eight other business owners. So, you know, you sign an oath of confidentiality. So it's an open book. You talk about your personal life, you talk about your business and you know, everybody in there will not say anything, but you could say, Hey, I'm, you know, worried about making payroll this month. Like, has anybody ever dealt with that? What'd you do? And I mean, one thing I've just found, it's just having a sounding board. You know, they do say like owning a small business can be lonely. And that is true. Sometimes like you don't want to go home and tell your wife all that every night. Just be like, Oh, cause you know, she's, you might just be venting, but she's like, are we going to be okay? And you know, is the business okay? And you can't tell all your employees everything all the time because a lot of times you're just trying to process out loud. Like, you know, it's going to work out, but you're like, oh, kind of in a pinch right now on this project or deal or whatever. And so just having a sounding board. And then you realize like one thing that helped me was like realizing like our business is not the only one that has issues, you know, <laughs> like, I guess uh, misery loves company, but it's, you know, every small business, you guys have one, Will. And so like, you know, like you just have issues. You have people issues or growth that you're growing so fast. And that seems like a blessing, but it can be a challenge. And so, uh, yeah, so EOS helped me a ton. And then just there's 220 members in Nashville. So you're like, oh, I got to, you know, hey, um, whatever. Architecture question. I like look up the architects in EO and you call them and be like, hey, I haven't met you, but I'm an EO and I've got this question. How can you help me? So people are super willing to help. Like if you reach out, it's like a small fraternity. It's good. The way I heard it is uh, if you take away the service or product from any business, uh, everyone has business problems. If you take away the service or product, they're all the same. 
That's exactly right. Even the businesses you look at from the outside, like some of these people I've met through EO, you look at their business, you read about them in the paper, you're like, oh my gosh, they had it together. Like I gotta go meet that guy and then you go get coffee with them. And they're like, oh my gosh, like don't believe the headlines. Like I got problems and I've had ups and downs and, you know, so. So that you, you'd mentioned that, uh, you, you have this coach, uh, you work on purpose. So what, what is your purpose? I mean, publicly I say that we want to build the most generous real estate company in America. Like that's my personal mission, which bleeds into my business. And I've always tried to be very generous personally, but I had a kind of a mindset switch probably five years ago. And I think I told you about this when we talked before, but like, so my brother died, um, oldest brother died of a lifelong health struggle. And then I had my first child 90 days later, we had some internal HR issues at the time. It just felt like everything was piling up on me at the same time. And I really just started to evaluate my life and think and pray a lot about it. Just like, why'd God put me here? What am I trying to do? Like, what it like, why am I in business? You know, should I sell my company and hit reset and reevaluate? But that's when I went through the halftime program, which has been very instrumental in my life. And, and they just kind of helped me figure out and process, like I can build this great business, which can be a funding mechanism for so many people who really need help. And, you know, my business can be a vehicle for generosity. And if I sell my business, you know, it'd be a liquidity event for me personally, but then like the giving, I wouldn't have this recurring cash flow stream to help others. And I can't invest in life for my employees. Like there were so many things I learned through that season. And, you know, frankly, I'm glad I didn't sell it. And I'm glad I held on and kind of battled through that season. And, but it's given me a whole new purpose for my business. I always was personally generous, but it was, I kind of saw that the money kind of flew through the business to me. And then we, me and my wife chose to be generous. Now I see it as like this business is generous. Like, the money flows through the business out into the community. And it also provides for my family as well. But like I can build this great funding mechanism for all these people that need help. And so we invest, you know, a lot of our resources are invested here in Nashville. But we also invest in every community we do business. So if we own a shopping center in Pell City, Alabama, which is a suburb of Birmingham. We're investing dollars in Pell City because we're like, hey, we earn that money there. We want to reinvest those dollars in that community. And so um that's what we do all across the country. It's been a lot of fun to do. Is that where, you know, mission came in place and said, Hey, like we want to give away our profits uh, almost entirely to uh, those in need. Is this, is this, was this kind of that same time where everything kind of changed over where it was like, you went from that lifestyle business to now I want to really have a more of a purpose driven business, something that's going to actually have, massive impact, not necessarily for my financial benefit and my family's, you know, health and things like that, which is important, but you, you've taken it the step further. It's, it's not, it's no longer just a you thing. It's a, how, how do I impact the community, the world kind of thing? That's right. And how that came about was when we started the hotel business, we had committed to give a portion of our profits away. We, you know, there's no original idea in the world. And if the if the founder of Tom's is on here, don't sue me, but I do give you the credit. But it was like, oh, a shoe for a shoe. And I was like, okay, great. A room for a room. Like we're going to, you rent a hotel room from us and you'll give people rooms at the local homeless mission. And it was just like, hey, this is a way to connect our guests to generosity. And then 
as time developed, I, I, you know, we, so I always tell our commercial team without the commercial business, there is no hospitality business. I mean, I can't afford to give away most years, all the profits every year we're committed to giving definitely the majority, but some years we give all the profits away and still feed my family. But, um, I had a mentor who, when I was kind of evaluating this, when I was like, what, what, why am I here? What am I doing? He's like, well, you love, he, he said, he told me, he said, man, I'm telling you as a friend, like you love real estate. Like if you totally get out, you're going to be miserable. He's like, you're going to have to keep doing deals. Like you love it. It's what gets you excited. It's what you're passionate about. And he's like, what if you could start doing deals for a greater purpose? And he's like, tell me more about this hotel business. I know y'all do this rooms for rooms. I was like, oh, it's super cool. And I love how like it connects. I'm like, when we make money, like I can, I see the connection. He's like, why don't you just go do more hotels? And I was like, well, that's a great idea. I was like, I was like, I can keep running my commercial business, but I can also spend some of my time and energy helping grow this hotel business. And if we can keep growing the revenues and keep adding hotels, like we'll keep growing our giving. And, you know, as long as I'm alive, then these hotels will be vehicles for generosity in our community and help the most needy. And, you know, we partner with uh, homeless ministries, job training ministries for inner city African-American males. Um, we also partner with teen moms. And so, you know, these are some of the most at risk populations in Nashville. And it's been super fun for us and for our guests just to be like, oh, that's super cool. Like I've been interviewed before and people are like, is this a scam? Like, do you really do this? And I was like, well, in full disclosure, I have a whole nother business. Like I was like, but they're like, I was like, no, we really do it. Like we, we a hundred percent do give away the majority of our money. And, uh, but I was like, I'm able to do it because of commercial, but I was like, I'm just super passionate about it. I, mean, I love our hotel business and I got a great team on that business. And, uh, so it's been a lot of fun to really try to grow that business and, you know, and we want to keep expanding. Obviously the commercial has to grow if you want to expand charitable pushes that that's very obvious. Right. So what is what does that look like? What what does your year, three year, five year look like? Yeah, obviously you're in Nashville with these. Also, or actually before that question, what what why churches? Like wh- why why were those the shells that made the most sense? Well, I mean, well, you know, sadly, like there's a lot more churches closing in the U.S. now than opening, and so they're usually in cool neighborhoods, like we're buying the old historic churches that have, I mean, we were attracted to them just because the architecture is so beautiful. And I wanted to come up with a plan on how to save them because if we don't do it, somebody's going to tear it down. It's going to be, you know, 10 condos or, you know, 50 apartments or whatever. And, you know, I've watched, I've been here almost 20 years and you watch people tear down buildings and you're like, man, that is such a beautiful building as part of the fabric of Nashville. Like I'm all, I'm obviously a developer. I love development. But some buildings do need to be saved. Some are just, I always say there's a difference between like historically significant and old. Like some buildings are just old and ugly. Like, and I applaud people building 300 apartments there. But like some of these old churches, I mean, you just look and I always tell my team, like we can never afford to rebuild that building. Like the construction quality and detail is unbelievable. And so um, I'm like, if we could find a business to put in there, that would be huge. So once we kind of got on that, than, you know, other churches. And then we would tell them our mission because, you know, they're like sad. They've dwindled down to a very small congregation and they can't even really afford the utility bills anymore. And so it's like, then some of these people, you know, been going to church there for their whole lives. And it's so like emotional. And we're like, hey, we're sorry your church is closing, but we're going to do a lot of good through this church. And um, and so we can help a lot of people in the community. And frankly, there's never going to be another church that's going to watch your building again. So like, 
let us do this. And um, so it's been great. So we've got three open now. We'll open our fourth next year. And we'd like to be at 10 hotels in the next three to five years. So we, you know, we obviously need the real estate to do it, but I think we'll find it. So then if 10 hotels in the next three years, what is what does that make the commercial space look like? Or what, what do you have to do on that side of the business to, to make that hotel a reality? I mean, our goal would be to try to double the size of the business in the next five years. And if we can get a recession along the way, like that'll help us because, you know, valuations have been so high in our space. And some of these current economic headlines are frankly good for our business. Uh, and so we have traditionally been value add investors. And I joke, it's like there's we're in an industry, there's not a lot of value to be added the last three to five years, you know. So it's uh, we've continued to do projects, but it was like finding a needle in the haystack. But as the market, I mean, we started this business in the Great Recession. So it was like we had raised a lot of capital. We were really just able to go buy good real estate at fair prices and grow our business. And the next economic downturn, like it doesn't have to be a big one, but we'll, we'll do the same thing again. Like we're very prepared. We've been conservative to make sure our balance sheet's in a great spot. And, you know, we'll be excited to expand the business when the economy participates. Obviously, you have to get in investors, right? Somebody, somebody that's wanting to make, you know, diversify their portfolio or, do, you know, whatever they, you know, however they're looking at investing money with you. How did you find your first customer that said, hey, take, take, take all this money of mine and give me more back later? <laughs> I mean, like, like any business, it's based on relationships and trust. So like, I've encouraged young guys that are going to raise capital. I'm like, you kind of got to start with somebody that already knows you and your character, or it's like, you know, they know you growing up and they know you're a high character person because like building trust is the biggest thing, especially when it comes to people's money. They're like, and you, you know, you hear like real estate developers. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, shady bunch or whatever. And so it's like, you have like, they, people come into the conversation a little defensive, but like when one of my current investors is telling his friend, like, Hey, Mike is great. We've been with him for 10 years. Like he's consistently done what he said. They perform. Anchor does a great job. Super solid team. Like that conversation, frankly, is pretty easy because it's like, like I'm not having to sell them a lot to invest. They're my friend, my client has already done it. My investor has already sold for me. So I'm like, laugh. I mean, some of these conversations are in 30 minutes and they're ready to write a check. They're like, oh, he says you're a great guy. Like your company's awesome. You got a great team. Like I'm in, like, you don't have to like even tell, I'm like, what well, do you want to know more about what we do? Like, nah, I'm good. You know? And I'm like, all right, great. So. Well, that obviously speeds the trust barrier up or yes. turns the barrier down pretty quickly. If so, are you kind of just more reliant upon, Hey, I have current great clients. They have friends. That's how we get new business. Or is there a like more a strategic, hey, we need to go to market and find people that aren't necessarily in those rings of influences we currently have. That's a great question. I mean, his so we have about 25 high net worth families that currently invest with us. And as our deal volume picks up, we'll need to recruit more. And it's really just happened serendipitously over time where they'll refer me a, a, a friend and I'll say, hey, we don't have anything right now, but we'd like to kind of introduce you to the process, show you our last deal, show you how it's working. And like, don't even invest in it. Like, you know, we're like, I'm raising money right now. And I would tell investors like, hey, I'm going to send you a package. I don't want you to invest because I, I need the money in two weeks. And I have plenty of other investors that will fund this project. But like, I want you to read the package. Let's go to lunch and we'll talk about it. And I want to answer our questions. That way, the next time we raise capital, 
you'll have already seen how it works, what we expect you, what you need from us. And so like we just introduced them to the process and that's been, that's worked really well, but we are starting to recruit more, just be more strategic about who we bring in. But that's mainly partnering with generous families. Frankly, my team feels very passionate. Like we want our investors to be as generous as we are. And so we would love over time to continue to attract families that are already being very generous personally. And we'd be super excited to go make them even more money so they have more dollars to be generous with. That No, I mean, that's awesome. If you want to be the most generous real estate company in America, it's good to have everybody being generous. So what about the other side? So obviously, investor side, now you need to get actual, you know, things in these buildings. How do you how do you build those relationships? Well, I mean, luckily, we've been doing it for a long time in the same market. So I mean, we do do work all over the country, but the playbook is the same, whether we're in, you know, Texas or Ohio or Tennessee. I mean, we, you know, we have relationships like the shopping center industry is pretty small, like, like the players. So it's like, if I'm doing a deal in Birmingham, I kind of already know the people to talk to. And the people I know down there, I'll say like, who else should I talk to? But, you know, we are trying to buy the building at a basis where we can put together a game plan that makes sense long-term. Now we have a couple uh, strategic relationships and a lot of the ways we've expanded as a company is they've helped us go to, Hey, we need you to go look at this project in West Virginia and figure it out. It's like, great. You know, they're like, we need to relocate a store. We need to put a store in this market. So a lot of our clients have been super gracious to us and we've worked really hard to earn their trust and the relationship, but they continue to put opportunities in front of us where I'm not just randomly buying a shopping center in, you know, Columbus, Ohio. It's like I'm there on a mission. I already know that I have a 40,000 square foot tenant in tow with me. And so I can go find a building that has some vacancy so I can buy it at a, a, a fair price that makes sense with our model. And then, but I've already had the tenant, so I've de-risked it. That, I mean, that makes uh it seems like you have everything together there, Mike. Is that fair <laughs> to say? You, 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 no, you, you know, you'd mentioned there are always problems, but it seems like you've just got, you've got things working for you uh, on, on all sides of the ball there. Which no, then do not out, be fooled. <laughs> but it sounds like, you know, you were able to, because based on what you said earlier in the episode, you just wanted to put people into place, right? So how did you figure out to do that? Because you've obviously put people into place. Um, do you have a press process or do you, how, how do you figure that out? Well, like we've had a good niche probably the last five or six years of buying busted Kmart shopping centers around the country. And, you know, how did we figure the first one out? A lot of hard work. I mean, we were like, well, we, we had an idea. We're like, okay, this is a, 100,000 square foot Kmart plus 60,000 square feet. That's probably 80% lease. Sellers probably distressed because they didn't sign up. Like I always joke that they had the opportunity 30 years ago by Kmart or Walmart. And they're like, I think I'm going to choose Kmart. Well, they should have chose Walmart. But, uh, but you know, it's like, but then they wake up 30 years later and they're like, they didn't sign up to redevelop the shopping center. And that's what we do. It's like, I'd be talking to some wealthy guy in Chicago who owns it. And he's like, man, I just want to sell this thing. Like, what's it worth? And I'd say, Hey, here's what we pay. And if you ask somebody else and he'd talk to somebody else, they're like, yeah, that's what it's worth. And so, you know, but what we had to do is really dig in because the, uh, MP&E mechanical plumbing electric is a big number on those deals. So the first one 
we had a thesis, but we had to get involved with a good contractor to really figure out how much is going to be split the electric. How are we going to split all the mechanical systems? And will that work with the rents that our clients are able to pay? Because we, we strategically focus on discount retail and these are not the most high paying tenants. So it's like the math equation was tight. And so, but once we figured out the first one, we went on a run. We're like, okay, this works. Now we know exactly what we got to pay for the building. And we know exactly within a range of what it will cost for the construction, probably within five or 10%, depending on the market and the labor pool and everything else. But we're like, all right, now we've got to, you know, we're going to go replicate this over and over and over. So um, that's what we've tried to do uh, is just kind of have an idea and then see if it works. We've had other ideas that have <laughs> failed miserably and, uh, you know, but like they didn't work, but th- we've had some that, d- that have. You don't have to disclose this, but do you have any future uh, similar Kmart scenarios that you foresee here in the next five years? I mean, I can disclose it because other people are thinking about the same thing. But I mean, we're trying to figure out regional malls next. I mean, you have dying malls and, you know, usually they're in great locations in the cities that they're in. And it's just like the mall doesn't work anymore. And so, um, you know, you go to these malls, it's like half the shops are empty. And so we are working on figuring that out. How could you redevelop that mall, cut down the operating costs and you know, because that's what hurts you on malls. They're so expensive to operate because the amount of uh, heating, electric. I mean, there's just a lot of area to heat and cool and everything. So you got to kind of have a plan, but that's what we're working on. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to figure it out. I have an idea for you. You can take this idea and run with it. Just paintball courses. Just take a mall, whole thing, giant paintball course. Don't need to heat them. Don't Don't even need electric. Get them to wear night vision when it's dark. Totally go this route. I'm telling you, this would be huge. If this works, Justin, we'll, if this works, we'll give you 10% of the business. You can be our partner. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. I'm going to hold you to it. I'm pretty sure this podcast is legal binding. I'm, I'm confident yeah, that's, right. that's got to be the way it is. <laughs> An on-air contract. Absolutely. Or, or if you want to create a pandemic of zombies, you know, the you could have uh, you could have something like that in the malls. Uh, and you could call it a workout gym. That could work. There you go. There you go. <laughs> awesome. So let's let's get into some more process stuff. So it, it, to say this in the nicest way, Micah, you, you aren't the best operations person, as they say. You like to be in the deals. Like you, you're trying, you're wheeling and dealing over here. You ain't trying to uh, deal with operations. W- when did you learn that that was the case? <laughs> well, I knew it pretty early on. I mean, I was not married when I started the business, so I had a lot of available hours. So it did not, you know, I could kind of work my way. I can be detailed when I need to be, but like I had a lot of hours back then. I didn't have a family or anything. And so it, it was manageable probably for the first five years of the business. Then it got to the point where it's like, well, I got married. You know, it's like, well, I can't, I need to get home, have dinner, hang out with my wife. And it was like, man, I can't. But then I just didn't have as many hours. So it's like, well, I'm going to focus on doing the deals because that's what brings revenue. And I'll just do the operations when I can. And you know, and I started feeling the friction because I didn't have an unlimited bucket of hours just to manage the business. And so I, I knew it very early on. Like, that's not how God wired me. I'm like, I get excited about ideas and big picture. It's like, oh, got to do the bookkeeping. It's like, and this, fill out this tenant report. I'm like, oh, I hate it. <laughs> so how'd you solve that? So if you're not the operations guy, how'd you solve that? And good for well, you for figure, knowing that or figuring that out early. 
Totally. So I started bringing in people to help me. You know, so you start hiring people that complement your weaknesses. And I mean, if I had any advice of anybody's earlier in their business, like you can't really ever afford that next hire. But like if, if you hate the accounting, like outsource your accounting, then hire a full time accountant, you know, like do not do things continually that are like it seems like, oh, this is going to cost us X. But then I got to a point probably with some help from, and wisdom from mentors. But it was like, well, this might cost us 60 grand a year, but if I could be freed up these hours to go do more projects, like we'll take care of. So like, I probably waited too long to start bringing in the resources that I needed. And, um, you know, if I could tell my younger self something, I'd be like, Hey, start making those hires, be confident that your business will grow to meet those needs. And, um, but yes, I, I started bringing in people. And, you know, by bringing in people, you mentioned uh, in our pre-interview about working on a certain business model within your business. So that way, operationally, you could work really well. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm not getting paid by Gino Wickham, but I am a big fan of EOS. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> for all you traction readers out there, uh, you know, I read that book probably five or six years ago based on a friend of mine at EO forums, like all this stuff you're describing, like, read this book, like this could solve your problems. But then I didn't, we didn't launch EOS until about 18 months ago. And you might be like, why didn't you do it? I was like, well, I can read the book, tell my team we're so fired up, we're gonna do this. But if you don't have the right integrator in EOS language to run the system, because it is time intensive, like the meeting cadence and everything. Now, I'm a full believer in it. I totally vouch for it working. But like, I was like, I know my personality. Like I would get everybody excited about it and then, I wouldn't run it. Like I'd run it for a couple months. I'm like, Oh gosh, I got to get back and produce revenue. And so I, uh, I was like, once I have the right person who can be an integrator and run this, like I want to do it. And I brought that person on about a year and a half ago and it's been great. Uh, was it your COO, your new COO, new COO? I would say new, right. but they're the ones who kind of got you on board. That's right. So that's correct. Um, I know we didn't talk about this before, but, are they able to push back on you? So they're not an owner, right? You are. Where Where do you draw the line? Well, I, I take feedback really well, honestly. And like in EOS, you know, I'm the visionary. He's the integrator. I, you know, you read the books and it's like the integrator is actually the boss. Like I'm no longer the boss. So we do laugh. I get a, I get a bucket of what we call uh, owner's discretion every year where I'm like, hey, I know you feel passionate about this, but I'm, I'm using one of my owner's discretion cards. Like we're doing this. But like that's been three or four times in 18 months, you know, like, but he and I have that deal where he's like, Hey, ultimately it's your business. And, you know, but I was like, but I don't use my card very often. Like I respect him. He's, he's done a great job. He's very gifted operationally where I'm not. And so it's like, we, we do butt heads sometimes on like, Hey, I, I think this, he thinks something totally different. I say, Hey, ultimately it's your call. Like you make the call, like it affects operations and I'll let him make it. So, and he's made good decisions. So. How do you know so, when to let go like that? Was that what you were going to ask, Justin? I was going to, I was literally going to ask, when do you let go of the vine, as they say in EOS? <laughs> yes. It's like you guys share a brain over there. Uh, we try, so, we try. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not like, well, I've just been doing this long enough to realize what I am good at and what I'm not. And I'm humble enough to realize that. And so like, it's really not been that hard for me because I felt so much friction with the operations of the business. And just knew that that is not how I'm wired. That like I let go 
quickly. You know, I was just like, all right, like, and, and, you know, he had been at another company for about five years as a leader there. And they had, well, he laughed. He's like, I didn't even know we were running EOS. And he goes, I think my, my operations got ripped it off. But it was like, cause they, they renamed all the meetings, but he's like, we were running EOS. So when we were interviewing, I was like, Hey, you come work here. Like I'm going to run EOS. I just been looking for the right person. And I was, he was like, asked me, I was like, well, let me tell you all about it. He's like, Oh, that's exactly what we run now. And I'm like, Oh yeah, your guy just like changed all the meeting. It's like, uh, instead of like the team meeting, it's like best meeting ever. You know, it's like L10s, they called like super productive meetings or whatever. But he laughed. He's like, this is literally exactly. What. And he called his old operations guy. He's like, oh, yeah, I read EOS. And I just thought I want to come up with some more fun names for the meetings. That's great. Watch out. That trademark infringement. Watch out there. Uh, company to be <laughs> named uh, later. Yeah, we won't name them today. The guilty <laughs> will go unnamed. <laughs> So one of one of the things that you said that you had an epiphany when you guys started doing this when when your your CEO came into play was um, you didn't realize how distracting you were as a visionary. Tell us about that. Oh my gosh, yeah, I wish you could interview my whole team today. There's like a lot of hilarious stories, but uh, Josh Etris is the guy's name that's joined me. And uh, Josh, you know, for the first couple of weeks, he's like, "Let me just sit in meetings with you," you know, like. And I was like, give me feedback. Like, you know, we want to get better. Like, I know I'm not good at these things. And, and like at the end of the meeting, he would, at the first like meeting he was in, he's like, he's like, you want my feedback? I'm like, for sure. He's like, do you realize how many times you say, Hey, have we ever thought about this? Have we ever tried this? Like, maybe we should do this. And I'm like, he's like, your team's head spinning. I'm like, why don't they just tell me? I was like, he's like, cause they like you. And you know, they think these are good ideas. And I was like, I was like, yeah, in hindsight, like a week later, something would show up on my desk. And I'm like, what is this? And they're like, well, you talked about this in the meeting. And I'm like, don't remember that. And I'm like, but did you do this? And they're like, oh, that was important. I'm like, yeah, that was like the most important. That was just a random harebrained idea that I didn't have the self-control not to mention. And so I laughed. It's like my poor employees, I had to like go apologize. I was like, listen, I didn't realize how distracting I was. Like, I'm just like, my personality be like, when I did have a boss, I'd be like, Hey, you mentioned all these things. Like, what do you want me to focus on? Like, is this like something we're going to do? Or I would ask a million questions and they were just like, I'd get them excited. And then a week later they have done, you know, five hours of work. And I'm like, Oh, like now we're going to put that in the, in the box. You know, it's like, but I really need you to do this. So, but EOS has helped me a ton with that. And now I just realize, like when I have an idea, I just write it on my notepad. And then later I'm like, Hey Josh, like, like let's put this in the in the idea box and every quarter we pull out like all the ideas I have and he's like, all right, like what do you want to focus on? We do have room for one more idea. But usually now if I'm like, hey, I got this idea I want to start like next week, he's like, okay, great. Here's everything the team's currently working on. Are you willing to sacrifice any of this? I'm like, it's not that good idea. Like let's keep them focused, you know? And I'm like, but next quarter if we have room, like I'll go through all the ideas and see if we have room to take on another initiative. But uh, so he's, he's helped me a ton. He's a good leader. He, he pushes back and he'll be like, all right, like something's got to give like marketing. Like we can't do this anymore. If we, if you want them to do this, cause they're max. Like so I'm like, all right, well it's I'm like, just put it in the box. Wow. I'm laughing. So I was laughing partially because I can totally relate kind of the crazy visionary hundreds, thousands of ideas in a day type of, type of deal. And then, my magic is creating chaos. And so I got fired out of operations also for very, <laughs> we'll say similar things. Justin can agree, I think, 
Um, oh yeah, no no question. Will uh, that's just not his strong suit. He's really really great at lots of things, and that's just not one of them. That's all. So I was laughing because I could totally relate to all the things that you said. I've definitely gone through those struggles, and I still have some of those struggles. I try to tone it down. Sometimes it's like the little kid in me that just wants to really 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 tell you about something, and you know myself. So I, I tone I, it down, but. All the EOS folks that listen to this, they will get it. When I read Traction in the Visionary, like the description of Visionary, I'm like, it's like they've read my mind. I'm like, it was like all the, here's the great things about Visionary. Here's all the negative things. It was like, yep, they, it's like, yep, that's me. Like, Rocket Fuel, uh, I think, does a better job of describing all this. Since we're on totally. the Gina Wickman route. So if you guys really want to understand, you know, the Visionary integrated relationship in the business, on the business, Rocket Fuel really helps describe both, I think, the personalities as well as how they contribute in an organization and how they help grow and whatnot. So I liked your description also. The COO or whoever's the top operations person is really the boss. You yes. no longer are the boss. Yeah, I That's 100% right. also agree with that. Um, and another suggestion I would have in the EOS world, like we got our team to read What the Heck is EOS? And that's a great, super short book super basic and that helped a ton like to get their buying in on like what's this is this just like y'all's idea that you're going to do this it's like no we're committed to this 100 percent, and like we want you guys to understand what it is and that helped a lot of team members be like okay i understand why we're doing this what the purpose is and how this is going to help me and my job that's the same thing here anybody that any new person that comes on board has to read that book and obviously if you're in more of a leadership role you're reading traction so no yeah. that's total totally where it's at um i i did want to hit back upon we're talking a little bit more about process stuff do you guys have a process for the hotel side so obviously you're doing a lot of the commercial stuff you, you're building all these things you got you got this other piece of the business that is the charitable you know the really how can we give to the community is there a process that you guys have now for, hey, we can we can take a church and flip it here in, in X amount of time, or we can, you know, we have, these are all teed up. Is that something you guys already built? Yeah, hundred percent. Like, uh, well, first of all, shout out to my team. They're amazing. That hotel team, I mean, they do a great job of running themselves. They have built great systems, but through EOS, we did do the process documenter and started documenting everything. How do we how do we develop a hotel once we get it open? Like, what's the pre-open look like? What's the day-to-day uh, -day operations look like? You know, what mistakes have we made in the past we need to avoid? So, I mean, it's it's a lengthy exercise to do the process documenter. But even like uh, one of our hotel team members, she's been with me since day one. And she was like, just typing all this out helped her think about how she does her job because she does so much out of muscle memory. And she was like, man, I've just been training people kind of on a whim, like, you know, like, oh, here's how, watch me do this. She's like, just having to type it out. I realized like, that's not even efficient. Like there were multiple extra steps in that process. So just her having to think through, like, click here, do this, you know, and um, that's helped a ton. I, the process documenter has, and whether you use EOS, I highly recommend like actually dot, nobody's going to be excited. Like we did a lot of fun things for our team along the way during the process documented process because nobody when they're busy wants to like, oh, I'm going to take an hour today and document this process. Like I'm just going to do it. Like, and it's like, so we, you know, there were a lot of beers and pizzas and bagels bought and, you know, just we like one day we just met early at the office. We brought in great breakfast and it's like, all right, we're all going to work on process document for an hour, you know, like, 
And so it's like, let's just do it together. And we tried to make it fun as much as you can uh, documenting processes. I just had a conversation yesterday. There's a company I'm doing some consulting for and they, they want to build their core processes out. So it's, it's not, I'm not an EOS implement or anything like that, but um, I was like, yeah, this is a, we totally should totally do this. This is super important. It's going to help you. It's going to also bring up opportunities and ideas and like, it's going to, there's so much benefit to this. They're like, yeah, well, we, we already have some stuff written down. We're going to have three done for you in a week. And I said, all right, guys, um, that's, that's, that's generally not how that works. This is totally right. more of a rock. This is like a 90 day to do one of those is probably a better use of your time. But they didn't believe me. They told, ah, we already have so much of this built. It's so good to go. So uh, yesterday when we met uh, after a week, the owner of the company said, yeah, so th- that was a bit off way too much. That, that's not that's not a reality. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, oh, I'm glad we came to those terms. But it absolutely was the thing. But yeah, she's like, oh, this is there's so there's tons, tons of stuff here that I did not think about. And I'm like, I know. And that's the beauty of doing it. Like you're going to not only you're going to be more understanding of what you're asking people to do, but then you're going to have this training tool and you're going to have a, this is how we do it at our company. And, and, oh, so it's so amazing, but it is definitely not something that is, oh yeah, we'll just pound these out in a week. Not not a big deal. Just stop doing any work for the business. (laughs) Just try to document a process is, is a undertaking. So you talked about in your hotel side that you were very technology forward. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? How do you leverage technology in, your, in essentially that side of the business uh, in helping you being successful or helping you build scale? And then even more generically, you know, in either, in any of your businesses, how do you do that? Totally. So, I mean, shout out to Airbnb who made it socially acceptable to like, you know, go to an unmanned hotel. Like, I mean, if you would have told any of us 10 years ago, you're going to go to a hotel, check win with a digital code, check into your room by yourself. You'd be like, no, that's sketchy. Like, no way I'm doing that. And, uh, but you know, Airbnb once that, it's like, people are like, yeah, that's, I'll actually like it. Like that's one of our, our competitive advantages. Like you will never wait in a line. Like the day you, from the day you book, you start getting digitally communicated with. And then the day you check in, you'll get a text on your phone. It's like, Hey, here's how you get in the building. Here's how you check into your room. Now, we have a dedicated team 24-7 that's working on the hotel business. And if you call them, they'll be there. You text them, they'll be there. But they're not physically at the hotel and sitting at a front desk all night reading a book, you know. So, but everything, I mean, we use a lot of different softwares. We use a, a reservation system called WebRes. And that's really the hub. That's where everything, work tickets, reservations, that integrates with all the online platforms, whether you're booking on Expedia, Hotels.com, Airbnb, directly on our website, like all of our bookings feed through that technology. And then we use like Whistle for text messaging. We, you know, there's an app for everything and we use a lot of different ones. And frankly, I'd have to get the team on here to even tell you all of them. But like, I know that uh, WebRes is the hub and then there's a lot of technologies we bolt onto that. Definitely threw a lot at us. Sounds like you've got, you learned a lot uh, in doing that implementation uh, and implementing, you know, technology. Uh, what learning lessons would you share <laughs> around implementation of technology? 
I hope y'all don't show the video for this part because I'm probably crying as I say this. But uh, (laughs) 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 those have been some of the greatest. I mean, so on the commercial side, we use a software called MRI, which is kind of an industry standard. There's two or three big ones that commercial real estate companies use. And when we signed up for that service, you know, we had been like a lot of small businesses between the Google suite, Excel, QuickBooks, like we were running, everything worked. But as we began to scale, we're like, this is not scalable, like just kind of bolting on, you know, random spreadsheets and things we'd used for years. And so we're like, all right, we're going to get a real like accounting system, property management system. So we interviewed a bunch of them. We ultimately chose MRI and you know, they sent us a quote for like training and implementation. And some of the team members at the time were like, oh, this is insane. Like, and, and I had let them run the whole process. I said, y'all just tell me, I mean, I'll sit on like the final demo, but like y'all have to choose because you're the ones who have to run the software. Well, they were, they chose to, hey, we'll just do it ourselves. Like this is insane what they quote us. I think they quote us like 50,000 bucks. And they're like, we'll just do it ourselves. I mean, I laugh. I would, I mean, I, I'm not going to re-sign up for it so they won't penalize me this, but I would have paid like five times that and now in hindsight because like we made so many mistakes. Like learning, I mean, MRI is a good product. So is Yardy. So, I mean, all of them are clunky though. They were bolted on over years and modules and everything else. But it's like trying to figure out a software and all the quirks. Like now that we've been using MRI for six years, probably it works really well for us. But like teaching ourselves everything and making a bunch of mistakes along the way, like we would print a rent roll and you're like, Oh, that doesn't, that's not even the right amount. Like I just know that that tenant pays more than that. Like, and it was like, well, you know, it's like, well, somebody entered it in the wrong module and it didn't feed through. And I mean, it was, we should have invested in training and implementation and I regret it. You know, it was, it was a mistake. And the next time we sign up for a major software, like we would like pay the fee and get the implementation, get the training, get the data migration over. It, it would help so much. So let me just say this out loud, just to make sure if anyone did not hear it, okay? So you're saying that whatever that implementation fee was, the 50 grand or whatever that initially thought was crazy, the hours that you spent on mistakes, redos, and essentially self-implementation might've been quote unquote shorter to implement, but then all the rework rework <laughs> all the rework that you had to do uh, uh, around the technology troubleshooting etc actually cost you more in time so if you were to go back and look at the value of time uh, salaries totally. etc it was actually more than fifty thousand dollars and oh. and probably more mental and emotional frustration totally but, I might okay. I might have an emotional breakdown if I ever did the calculation of how many hours slash money you know we spent doing it the the hard way so and y'all didn't pay me to say that but i do i mean you only can make decisions in life through experience and i wish i would have known to ask we did interview people that used it and i wish like if someone called me now i'd be like and they're considering mri i'd be like yep it's been great it's got its quirks but so do all the other ones and but like pay the fee like get it get trained and like now we're actually hiring a consultant to help us. They, that's all they do is help MRI, but they're coaching us on now some finer details of making it work a little more efficiency. So we've ultimately spent the money. We, we, we should have spent it on the front end and it would have saved a lot of time and frustrations. What questions do you wish you had asked? Um, that's a great question. I mean, 
you know, obviously the referrals these companies give you are going to be positive. They're not going to send you a guy who hates them, who's like complaining to customer service all the time. I wish, well, one thing I wish we'd done, I wish we'd have found some other, like, okay, those are your top three and they give me three more. You know, I wish we'd interviewed some more. And then I wish like we do this now, we call references on employees, but I'm like, hey, I know you're going to, if you only tell me positive things today and you're their past employer, like I'm going to discredit, I'm not even counting this as a recommendation. So like, I know you're going to say they're great because they listed you on the resume, but like, tell me some things that they could work to improve on. And I wish I would have asked questions because I was given the advice before, like whatever someone says, well, like MRI is great, but it is a little quirky. You need to magnify that times 10. Like, it's like, oh, tell me more. And so I wish we had just really dug in and not just been like, oh yeah, you love him. Oh, MRI is great. Like you guys ought to do it. I wish we'd have been like, no, I mean, Give us some real examples of where you've been frustrated. How was their customer service? Were they responsive? And so, you know, shame on us for really not digging into the references and then calling a couple more references. Very interesting. Okay. I mean, thank you for that. I think it's a big issue in the industry is understanding how to choose technology. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Technology, service, SaaS. It doesn't matter what the technology is, but how to choose and why to spend more. So like input. There's a reason why those implementation fees, you could two sides of the same coin, right? In terms of cost versus value. So for anyone that is looking around value around implementation fee or otherwise, how would you how would you explain to someone, you know, because everyone's looking for return on investment, how would you shift their mindset that's going, oh, that's too much? And is there any way, maybe whether subjectively or objectively, how would you define that for someone that's on the fence or going? Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, like I, I wish when we were interviewing people were like, Hey, they put us $50,000. Like, does that seem fair? Can you tell me how many, did you sign up for the implementation? What'd that look like? Like, would you pay it again? And I think some people would have been like, Oh, I'd have paid double. Like that was the best money we spent. And then I think people that didn't would be like, Oh my gosh. Like if they interviewed somebody like me, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, pay the money. Like don't even like haggle, like just like, do it, you know, and then I would ask a lot of questions around like, well, how much time did your team spend implementing the product? And like, you know, do you wish you would have hired them to data migrate? Like, how many hours did y'all have? And I think if they told you, then you're like, oh my gosh, 250 hours, you start doing the math, you're like, wow, like, on top of your current workloads for your teammates, you know, like, so I, I, I would ask a lot more questions about that. MRI should use you as a reference. You you you're giving it to them raw and real. I think a lot of people would sign up for their their implementation if they talk to you first. Totally, because y'all know how it is with technology. I mean, you know, the sales guys tell, oh, it'll do this, it'll do this, and then we sign up and you start using it, and then you talk to the 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 technology people, and you're like, hey, we're having this issue, and they're like, yeah, our system doesn't do that, and you're like, well. Danny told me it does, you know, it's like, they're like, damn, Danny, he tells everybody, like, it doesn't do that. It's like, he thinks it does, but it won't do it. Like the way you want it to be done. That's just called uh, salesman just forgetting. That's all that. Yes, oh, I forgot right. it didn't do that <laughs> function that you really, really wanted it to do. I totally forgot. That's right. <laughs> Let's close out with our last and kind of favorite question. I would like to ask everyone on our episodes. If you go back in time 20 years, what would you tell yourself? That's 2002. Yeah. So you so to give I you a, a reference. 
I was about to graduate college, and Tennessee was still good at football at the time. So well, I was uh, Peyton Manning there a long time ago. <laughs> Casey Clawson was there, uh, and we were still really good. We had an epic run there for a while while I was in school. But you know, I, it's it's fun to kind of reflect. I'm like, I had paid for college because my family didn't have the means, and you know, I was getting my first job. And it's like today, I would tell myself, like, you know, God has a big plan for your life, like. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a bumpy ride. You're going to almost go broke once during the Great Recession, you know, but like God has a big plan for you. Like, enjoy the ride. Like, don't worry too much about how this is always going to work out. Like, just be faithful, work hard, treat people well, well, you know, be honest, like treat other people how you would want to be treated and like, just enjoy the ride. And now like, you know, when you meet with older people, you realize they just feel more at peace. And like you meet with John Arts and it's like, he just is kind of chill. And you're like, look, it's because he's had the ups and downs of life. And I'm not 65 yet, but I am 42. And I realize like why you do get a little more settled in over time. Cause now it's like, you know, our business has bumps. Like that doesn't define me, you know, I'm focused on my family and, and I'm just like, well, this is just another obstacle we have to overcome. So I would encourage myself like, it's going to be amazing. You'll be, I would say, Micah, you're going to be amazed how all this turns out. Like it's going to be, but it's not going to go the way you think it will. The obstacle is the way. Shout out to Ryan. The obstacle is the way. I love Ryan Holiday. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. So uh, I just finished that book. So uh, nonetheless, uh, great advice. Great, great advice. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the people uh, at all? Any, any last words? No, I, uh, you know, I appreciate you guys uh, meeting with me today and putting me on here. And, you know, obviously, if you come to Nashville, we'd love your support. We can help a lot of people by people staying in our hotels. If you own an old tired shopping center, call me. I'd love to look at it and uh, bring jobs and tenants back to the community. That is our mission on that business is to restore that community through that shopping center in the middle of town. And, um, you know, we're excited about the journey ahead. I'm very thankful for my team. Obviously, want to give them a shout out. Like, as our company has grown, my role uh, gets diminished more every day, which I'm thankful for. So, you know, I'm super grateful for my team. Without them, there is no business. So, Absolutely. We're going to throw all of your social links and all that stuff in the show notes. Is there any good way to contact you if somebody wanted to? Uh, they can uh, send me a message on LinkedIn and connect there and we can go from there. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for meeting with us today. Uh, And until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.